from the Rose City in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, home of bikes, books, bridges, beards, food carts, startups, and indie coffee. Grab your dog, snatch your hammer and beer, leave your umbrella at home. Welcome to the Tiny House Podcast. It's Tiny House Podcast. I'm Perry. Good morning. This is Michelle. And this is Mark. Mark is always so sober. Oh my God. He's got to balance Michelle and I out. I, absolutely. <laughs> I got to pot the sound down because you guys are screaming. We come in hot and heavy. <laughs> Fox one. Okay. Fox so. two. <laughs> nice, Michelle. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so here we are today. Um, we had a good show last week, which will come out in four weeks. In four weeks. Um, and today we're going to have a good one too because, you know, here at the Tiny House Podcast, we don't only talk about tiny houses. We also talk outside of the tiny house box about things that people are doing relative to simplicity in small spaces. And today we have one of those, um, a person who apparently refurbishes. Actually, she refurbishes the kind of um, trailers that you really like, Michelle. Yeah, glampers. I'm a glamper. Yeah, you are a glamper. Yeah, I'm a glamper. That's actually what got me started in the tiny house movement. Um, I found a 1964 Scotsman that had been sitting under a tarp. Um, it was built That's in six. I was going to say, how was he? <laughs> 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 That's funny. I never, I've never gotten that reaction before. So she was built in 1964. She was put under a tarp in 1967, and I uncovered her in 2011. Wow. So during the process of gutting and remodeling and getting her to her glorious uh, glamper status. Uh, Pinterest, when you go to Pinterest and you're looking for inspirational ideas and tiny spaces and propane appliances, the glamping movement and the tiny house movement are really closely, at least visually, connected. So I definitely gained a lot of experience and confidence in my skills when I was doing that and then decided to apply them to a more permanent dwelling, a.k.a. my tiny house. So, yeah, for me, there's a lot of connection between the two, and I'm still... Um, still involved in the glamping movement, and I go out every single uh, international glamping weekend, first weekend in June, um, with my glamping lady friends. She's and just making this shit up. I think. <laughs> <laughs> you can't make this shit no, up. I know. I, know. <laughs> I make it up as I go along, which, yes. by the way, is, is a talent, I'm told. <laughs> well, you're going to really like Lisa Flynn, who is the CEO and lead designer of this company called Beautiful Rex. She's our guest today. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Hi. Hi, guys. How are you? Michelle, I love guys and gal, I should say. And I love that story. I have a similar story with them sort of falling in love. Not with the Scotsman, though. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, let's talk about that. How did you, um, well, first talk about what Beautiful Rex is and then how did you you get started with it? Sure. So Beautiful Rex, we've really um, have come we've we've taken a, a interesting journey over the last 12 months and so we started just as um yeah just renovating refurbishing we i like to say reimagining and redesigning so um my first trailer that i did was a 1960 uh, 15 foot terry travel trailer and i did that because that was about 7 years ago um and i have two I have two boys they are now 11 and 13 and 7 years ago they needed uh, childcare during the summer when i was running a uh one of my startup ventures i've had uh five to date and uh, i was actually in portland quite a bit I, we were in the portland seed fund with uh, rally cause um and i needed childcare for my kids in the summertime and that's typically my husband's job and i'm not trying to like bring it up again (laughs) (laughs) but we're gonna (laughs) you gave me the perfect opportunity Um, so my husband just you know did me a favor I should say and uh, did not get the kids signed up for the summer uh, camps and classes that needed to happen so that they would be um, how do I say uh, out of my hair for Mm. the summer so I could work and it was actually the best thing that happened. So I declared it. So I'm, I'm kind of a lemonade maker. Um, and, and my life has given me a lot of opportunity to make lemonade mm-hmm. um, with all the lemons that it throws my way. But um, I said, let's make this the summer of fun. So we're going to go camping every weekend. And it's going to be super fun. We're going to learn stuff. I'm also like teachable moment mom, right? So we're going to travel around the state and um, 
And so I declared it the summer of fun. And I said, if we're going to do this, I am not about, we had been tent campers uh, our whole lives. And um, once you have kids, that's just not very much fun anymore. (laughs) So uh, we, and not only because you have to bring in way more alcohol when you have kids to camp, (laughs) right? That gets hard to pack in, even when you get like the, you know. You might have to leave a kid at home to replace the alcohol. That's right. Our listeners don't know, but our conversation before the podcast was was largely alcohol focused. So I'm liking where this is going. Weird. Yeah. Usually I don't touch the stuff until after 9 a.m. But... So it was the summer of fun, and I said, I'm not going to camp because it's so much packing and unpacking and la, la, la. So we, um, I found this trailer on Craigslist. I was uh, surfing late at night. I, it's now referred to um, as trailer porn because you'll often find me late at night on the interwebs um, looking at old broken down trailers <laughs> and, uh, and things that I can buy for them. Um, so we bought this trailer for a thousand bucks and it was like my little playhouse. I, I flipped it, if you will, I, I refurbished it or renovated it, um, in about a week's time, uh, by myself. I wouldn't let anybody else help me. And I loved it. And we went out camping and we, it was the summer of fun and, um, we, and it was, we went like, you know, we did all the stuff that we've always wanted to do, but never done. So we did like the Polina plunge, which is a natural rock slide in um, central Oregon and like water rock slide. And uh, we went, you know, river rafting and mopping. So like we went all over the state and did all those things. And I realized that as much fun as I was having, I was super bored because my trailer was done and I wanted to keep doing stuff. So um, I went from when people, you know, of course, in the campgrounds, people would say, oh, it's adorable. I want to see it. We give tours and then they want to buy it. And I'd be like, "Ah, no, this is my this is my baby. This is my heart. Um, You know, I poured myself into this. And then by the end of the summer, I was like, yeah, totally. I'll sell my baby (laughs) 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 for a tidy little profit. And you know what? I'll just I'll just go get another baby. It's it's that easy. And so um, a monster was created sort of Mm -hmm. at that moment. And um, I did. So I started the whole business, you know, Technically, it was t- turned the hobby into a jobby about a year and a half ago. But oh, um, I love that. Can I someone that write that down? Too. I gotta write hobby that down. Into a jobby. <laughs> I gotta give nice. credit to my 13 year old son, Kellen, for that one, actually. Wow. Yeah. So, He's just uh, like his mom, a marketer. That's right. <laughs> I don't know where he gets it. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> So that's what we've been doing. So for seven years, and then I've progressively sort of, um, you know, I started with the first one. I just it was just lipstick, right? So like I I painted, I did um, the curtains, I I did the upholstery, you know, I made it super cute. But I did I I didn't really um, that was as far as it went. And that was and then the next one, I'm like, well, let's let's tear this out. Let's see what happens if we if we tear this out. So I sort of worked my way up to the point where we are now with beautiful wrecks. What we do is look for the the vintage vessels. So it could be a trailer. Um, I'm actually now living in a um, temporarily due to a flood in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of lemons, um, <laughs> living in a 35 foot, uh, we call it the tour bus. Her name's Penny Lane. Um, and she used to be a transit bus in Eugene. And so it's the super cool, like, you know, the doors open like that, mm-hmm. you know, and there's the door mid vessel. And um, and we gutted it and turned her into a tiny home that that we rent out um, on Airbnb. And we're I've had the opportunity, like I said, to live in it now, which has been really good for me because I've had the opportunity to like learn you know, to actually feel what it's like to be living in a tiny home um, or in a tiny space. And it just, anytime I do that, it makes things so much more functional. So I just sort of get ideas and inspiration all over and they're different. So like I'll take out our little trailers now too. And I was, we go for a little, um, you know, a little spirit walk. And uh, usually my dog, Teddy Bear, accompanies me and it's me and the the trailer. And, and I stay in it when it's just like, just the shell, nothing there. Um, to kind of figure out what we need. And then I say in it again, once we're, once we have like the furniture in it and, um, before it's completely all done to make sure that everything's good. And then we dial it down. So a beautiful Rex, we, to get back to the original, <laughs> we, we take the vintage, sorry. The Circling vintage, the plane, back to the question. Yes. It is after 9am. I'd like to point out. after 9am. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I the title of this being Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. Lisa <laughs> Flynn <laughs> at the wheel. Um, so beautiful, Rex. We, we look for the vintage vessels. So they could be, we've done Westphalia's, we've done. Oh, and, I love those. Um, we have an eight foot fireball trailer right now, which is the smallest one we've ever done, you know, up to the 35 foot 
bus. Um, we've had a couple of Airstreams in there as well. I mean, so there's lots of different things that we do. It's not just trailers. Um, and Tiny Homes is definitely uh, in that in that category. When we, but we're not building them, you know, from the from the chassis up or from the trailer up. Um, what we like to do is find the beauty in the wrecks. So we go find the old vintage vehicles or vessels that have been neglected and forgotten. And just before they go to the um, landfill, you know, we we grab them and and um, love them. And uh, basically, we we completely gut the inside of them. So we take them to we really get up under the skirt. We take them down to their studs. Um, all the insulation comes out. So we put in all new energy efficient insulation, um, all new, pull out all the old wiring. Basically, we take out everything that that could go go wrong or that has gone wrong um, to get these ladies ready for the next 50 years of fun and adventure. So it's a vintage skin, um, but everything from the outside in is, um, I don't want to say brand new because we do definitely upcycle a lot. I use, um, you know, mid-century furniture pieces quite a bit. Um, We also custom build, but if I can find, um, you know, something at it gives me a really good excuse to like go to, you know, thrift stores and salvage yards and garage sales and things like that and, nice. and find little treasures. And, um, so it's, you know, save them from the landfill as well. So the, there's so many things I want to ask you about relative to what you said, but I, I just want to take a note that the penny lane is featured. I think it's featured on your website and it's gutted. So you've done some work since it's been posted. I have. Okay. So I will be posting new pictures soon. I wanted to get the transformation uh, totally complete. But yeah, within in 24 hours, I actually had her from where you see her on the website to where um, myself, my husband and one of our sons, the other one headed out to a friend's house uh, <laughs> for the night, stayed in her. So we had a pretty immediate need to leave our house and um, because the, the, oh, the, the flood. Pipe, yeah, yeah, pipe burst in it. And so like all the floors are torn out and there's like the, you know, they bring in the the stuff to dry it all out. So you've got like the fans and the dehumidifiers mm. and you yeah, have to so cut all I... the sheetrock off from oh, yeah. the two foot line to the floor. Exactly. <clears throat> and we have, we call it Rancho Del Reco. We have a little, uh, little rancher. So we have, <laughs> we have uh, goats and chickens and, you know, of course, dogs and cats. We, we, um, um, our foster family for the Humane Society. So like we have these little baby kittens at the time. And I'm like, oh, my God, there's no way that we can go. You know, so the insurance is like, oh, it's easy. Just go to a hotel. And I'm like, that's not easy <laughs> with this lifestyle. So yeah. um, but again, it was a really good I think it was a really good opportunity. Oh, up into like really the tiny home living, which we've been doing for the for the month of September. Cool. So um, have you ever so. Let me see. The two words buyer beware always come to mind when I see people on the various Facebook pages um, out looking for um, vintage trailers specifically. Oh, I saw this one on Craigslist and it's only $100 and it totally doesn't leak. Um, So have you ever, um, I'm going to ask you about your whoopsie moment. Have you ever bought a vintage trailer and then hauled it home and said, no matter how much we love this, it's just not going to work. And so you made it into like a goat pen or something? That's a really interesting, that's a great question. And the answer is no, although maybe now I'll start looking for some to, <laughs> that, that aren't going to be roadworthy to do that. Um, Chicken pen, we, goat pen, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we definitely, so buyer beware is is definitely um, applicable in this space. Like, so now that we're to the point where, um, you know, we're pulling everything off and we've, we've seen a lot. So first of all, if somebody says there's no water damage, they're full of shit. Absolutely. <laughs> all there is to it because there always you, is, there, there always is. And it's, and I, and I, and here's where it is. It's around the windows. Uh, it's in the, um, the top and bottom corners in front and back. So the floors actually take quite a beating because uh, the water from the roadway yeah. will come up. Yeah. Um, so we are generally, um, the studs on the rest of it, and some of these trailers are wooden studs and some of them are metal. Wow. Um, and so metal, obviously, you know, you're in better shape, but no, I mean, the, the, the studs are literally like rotten out in, in probably 80% of the trailers that we, that we gut, we find that the, you know, oh, just kind of the important places of the corners, right. Um, are completely like dry rot. Like there is no more wood there. So, and you don't see that until you get past the um, cute paint that maybe somebody has already done. So we bought a trailer, um, Audrey, our trailer, who's on the website. Actually, yep. she was featured in a magazine last month. Bought her um, from a nice 
nice guy out in Prineville who said that he flips trailers. That's what he does. So, you know, he goes and gets them and then he, and then he renovates them or, you know, flips them. And to him, I think that meant just like painting. Um, you know, and he said, you know, it doesn't leak. I checked it all, blah, blah, blah. And this is a guy saying this is what he does for a living. Right. And I'm looking at it going, yeah, you're full of shit too, because I can see, you know, I know what I'm talking about. And for us, we didn't care because we 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 take it. I wanted the Shasta. I wanted her for the skin, for the outside. So I knew that we were going to have a huge mess on our hands once we tore into it. But we're prepared for that. So, you know, seven years ago, we wouldn't have been prepared for that and not known what to do. So that is one thing that when people are buying trailers for, you know, a hundred bucks or whatever, or even sometimes three thousand and five thousand dollars of these trailers that people have painted and they look super cute but how many rats nests are in the insulation on the inside right. or hornets nests and where's the dry rot so that's one thing that if you're getting these old gals you got to really know that, that they do need some tlc and they are going to have water damage so, um, and then the, go ahead uh, sorry lynn i was just going to ask so the the uh you have an additional business model that makes up beautiful Rex, and that is that you according to your website anyway if yep. someone wants to um, temporarily stay in one of your units, you will deliver the unit to some location and they we will. meet the unit there and stay there. Is that right? That's exactly right. So we have uh, we have stay, play, or take one away is basically our website. So <laughs> we have um, so we have units that are designed as guest rooms. So once we tear everything out, then we then we redesign for specific purposes. So some are adventure vehicles. Um, so we actually have added, um, it's not just trailers. So we have a 80, uh, 87 FJ 60, uh, land cruiser, Veronica has just joined the fleet and she has a Cascadia vehicle tent on top. So if somebody wants to take, um, you know, to, to take something that they can drive and not even have to pull a trailer, they can do that too. And Veronica has been, um, she's in her transformation process right now. Um, but again, like totally, you know, renovated. So we'll also take, um, the littler ones that are not really, you know, big enough for camping if you're going with more than one person. And we do those more like a hotel room or a guest room. So yeah, we'll take them and put them in somebody's driveway. So we've had a lot, the summer was busy with like friends visiting in-laws Bend. We are in Bend, Oregon, and we love nothing more than a good festival. Uh, so we have a fest like every weekend and um, housing and then um, whether temporary or permanent is just not keeping up with the growth and with everything that's happening here. So, um, you know, you can't get or you can pay 250 bucks for, a, you know, not a great hotel room on a Wednesday night. Um, or you could stay in this fabulous uh, little, you know, little vintage glamper guest room um, in your in-laws driveway <laughs> instead of being actually in their house. How right? far will you um, how far will you deliver? How much money do you have? Oh, is that the nice. answer? Nice. That is nice. Yeah. <laughs> Good answer. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. If he wants a glamper in his driveway and he's going to pay money, we need to talk. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> so how did you how did you come across this business model, Lynn? Well, so I've been an entrepreneur for the past. Well, for my whole life, Makes I think, sense. really. Um but I, but really, I've been, um, you know, on the, I've, I've raised venture capital, I've raised angel investment. I'm, I've been really on the, in the startup scene for the past, um, since about 2008. I can't do that math. Ten years. That's 2008. <laughs> that's not ten years. I, I suck at math too. And names apparently. 2006. <laughs> it's been ten years. Okay. It's back to that whole drinking in the morning thing. <laughs> like, I'm the only one who does it. Um, <laughs> So I've had a lot of business models. I just have a curious mind and I'm always looking for the why or how to create sort of how to make it better, how to make it more efficient, how to, um, you know, just sort of iterate on what's already there. So this business model really is kind of a combination. And if you if you watch startup stuff or even watch Shark Tank or any of that stuff, you starting, I don't know, probably two years ago, Mark, you might know this. Um, people started saying, like, it's like uh, when Uber meets Airbnb. Right, right, you know right, what I mean? Yeah, it's like yeah. this plus that. And that's kind of what happened in my head. So this is definitely, um, you know, it's Airbnb. It is um, we, we also are launching for lack of a better term. I haven't it's a, it's a it's it's part of the the. Um, the adventure club. And basically it is like a timeshare where if you want to have a trailer, um, or if you want to give our, give a trailer to the fleet, basically you become a partner in the program mm -hmm. and you get rental, you know, residual rental income. Um, mm -hmm. and you can also then have, um, points to take any of the wrecks out. So if you say, so for example, we just had a family who, um, 
moved to Germany and left this lovely Airstream Argosy, a 1974 Argosy behind, and it was gutted. And then they hadn't done it. They had put the insulation in and gotten it all ready. Like the, the um, floor heat is all set up, but that's it. And they didn't want to get rid of it, but they can't really do anything with it. And they um, just through, you know, the right connections, we got introduced. And I said, you know what? Let me take it. I'll put the rest. I'll put the design, the rest of the, you know, money into it, whatever. And basically, they got the credit for what the, for the value of the trailer as it is now. Hmm. Um, and so, whether we end up selling or renting that trailer, they're they're going to make you know quite a bit more off of it than they would have if they had sold it at the time. So, it's just kind of all of these opportunities coming together with the tiny home movement. Mm -hmm. So, and looking at the way that people want to travel now. So, Airbnb, and you know, and I've stayed with Airbnb all over the world. Um, and just thought, you know, a trailer would be a super cool way to do that. So we have some places where it's like you can stay in this trailer at this spot. So we have a great spot downtown Bend, like right across from the lot, which is our food cart. It's our cartopia, our version of that. Um, and we have some that go out camping or we'll take it and set it up. At, you know, usually we say like Central Oregon, then there's an extra mileage charge if it's if it's okay. further. Um, but sometimes it's like, oh, where are you going? That's cool. We want to go there, too. We'll go on a family vacation and tow an extra trailer. Oh, wow. and you know, we're all set. So how did it come? I mean, it, it's really just kind of a combination of the last 15 years of experience that either of my direct experience or what I've seen other people do being on like the pitching circuit and the startup circuit mm -hmm, right. um, in, you know, Portland, Seattle and San Francisco. I like how Lisa will answer a question by telling this really great story. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the story, <laughs> she answers the question. Right. <laughs> and the answer is yes. Exactly. Right. So. Yeah, it would be so wonderful to hear you pitch this on Shark for Tank. For sure. For sure. Because Shark Tank is such a sore spot for me I was supposed to be on the first year I was like working with a producer was like literally in the chair at the hairdressers getting the roots taken care of when I got the call um saying that they didn't pick up a next season and then by the time they had picked up another season I had already had investors so oh, wow. interesting but um but yeah I still could I mean who knows I might do that <laughs> they like the the offbeat stuff I mean we have a couple people here at Ned Space that uh one has recorded at a show that pitches who they can't name that might or might not be Shark Tank. Yeah. Um, and another one may be coming back next year. And both of them have kind of, uh, I think they're picking Portland and Oregon businesses for their quirkiness. quirkiness. Yeah. And yeah. Beautiful Rex definitely dials into totally. that. But you know, Cuban loves those kind of experiential investments. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what you're working on, really. Mm -hmm. But so, I'm going to put on my Shark Tank interviewer hat now because oh, right. I'm going to ask how do you scale this? How do you scale it beyond bend? Um, Am I taking this conversation the wrong direction? I was no. thinking it's kind of an entrepreneur type podcast all of a sudden, but it's okay. That's Let's fine. do it. Yeah, go for okay, it. Yeah, I yeah. could see Perry's eyes were like, oh, really? We're gonna am I that? Here? I should not play poker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but you should. <laughs> and okay. bring lots of money. So the rules in answering the question are it has to be 50 words or less <laughs> so we don't get too far off topic. <laughs> so how do you um, scale yeah, something okay. like this? Sure. It's scalable in a couple of ways. One is, you know, we can turn these little, the little trailers around, if, if gun to our head, we could do it in two weeks. Um, I prefer, you know, six weeks to do it. So once these are going, you know, and, and then you just start building. So we have five in our rental fleet right now. Um, in, you know, we already covered, I'm not very good at math, but how many does that mean we'll have in a year, right? More. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's a way to scale slowly, but it's definitely building a nice what we call lifestyle business because yeah. it mm -hmm. is creating this residual income. And then at the end of the day, I can still sell those trailers for what I would have sold it for at first. But now I've made, you know, my goal is to um, 4x the money. So once I've made um, three times what it's worth right now, then I'll sell it for what it's actually worth. And there you go. So there's that. But the other way that I'm really excited about is getting is kind of a franchise model bringing in my whippersnappers days of finding other people who want to be hostesses, if you will, and, and run fleets out of other places. So there's, I think that we have this opportunity right now where, um, these old trailers are going to become extinct, um, at some point. Right. And we want the ones that, that the skin or the aluminum or whatever the outside is in good, is in good enough shape. Right. Um, and so there's only so many of those left in, in the United States. And so I definitely want and need people in other areas, um, to be on the lookout for the wrecks, you know, pre, pre beautification, as well as then people who say like, yeah, we live in Jackson hole or we live in, um, San Diego or, you know, Napa Valley or whatever, where they're interested in turning. 
profit their time into income and to a revenue stream as well. And, um, you know, hosting these trailers. So we can ramp up production here right now. It's just my husband and I, we've had a team of up to five. Wow. Um, and I, and then we have a ton of freelancers that we work with, um, you know, people in, in specialty areas. Um, but there's definitely a, a chance to scale in that way where I'd love to have more people where I can create business, um, I'd love to see, you know, college kids getting into this. Uh, this is what I, one of the things I love about the tiny home movement is that, is that people there's an alternative into, you know, buying a first, buying your first home and being in debt for the rest of your life. Um, I'm hoping that my kids, instead of, you know, my kids, I'm, I'm buying trailers for them now and they're going to be renovating them with me and that's what they'll take to college and will also be their first home. So, um, I, I think the business is scalable in a lot of different ways. Nice. That was a loaded that question. That wasn't 50 words or less. No, that okay. wasn't 50 words or less, but it was a loaded question. Uh, cause I thought that's what you were going to say. And so note for later, I'm going to bend and I'm going to buy her a drink. <laughs> we're going to talk about, we're going to yeah. talk about my future career that's of course that's probably going to happen after my next tiny house build um right. but nonetheless um yeah write that down um visit lisa and ben mm -hmm. okay we're ready there you go. so Yes, more than one drink is going to have to happen on the show. Yeah. Well, you two are a good uh, match in that regard. Yeah. The, the, I'll have to twist your arm for that. And the other thing I'd really like to do, having been you know, in the, in the entrepreneurial scene for a while, and I've done a lot of mentoring and coaching and whatever, um, I would love to um, have you know, workshops and classes where people can come and learn how to do this stuff. And I, I'm particularly interested in women and children learning how to do this because I think that, you know, stereotypically the men folk, they know how to, you know, swing a hammer. Um, and it's something that, 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 that women don't do as much. But then I also notice my, I talk about my kids a lot cause that's, that's where my focus is now. That's why I'm not on airplanes flying around doing startups anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, my 13 year old had a science project. And so he had his group come over to our shop because we've got, you know, come on, we have a rad shop and power tools and shit like that. So <laughs> it's totally cool points for him. <laughs> um, and the girls I noticed when I was like, okay, we're going to use, you know, the miter saw or even a power drill, the girls would sort of, you know, hands at their side and sort of step back mm. and the boys would step forward. And I'm like, uh uh, sister, get up here. We're mm. doing this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the look on their face the first time they, they fire up a saw and like, you know, cut a two by four, which is, it, it's so empowering for them. Um, and I just, I, I love to see that. And I love technology for our kids today. And in fact, I even, I taught, I started Cool Kids Code, a program that teaches, you know, now elementary school kids, um, just jumping off of code.org. But what I'm realizing now is our kids are like, oh, isn't it great? They're building with Minecraft and they're doing all these things. Um, but they don't know how to actually swing a hammer. Like yeah. they don't know how to actually build because we just, they've never had to, mm -hmm. you know, they, we, we don't, they didn't, they've never built a fort themselves, mm -hmm. you know, they, um, cause they can build it on Minecraft. Mm -hmm. So, um, that's really important to me too, is kind of getting back to the, you know, once upon a time being a Jack of all trades or a Jill of all trades was, was important, you know, like Renaissance men, polymaths, like this was all, um, what people would strive to be skill collectors. And then we went into this era of specialists, right? Where you had to be really good at one thing and fuck everything else. And that I think is, I think is going to cause some problems for us in the future. So I really am encouraging, you know, my kids and my friends and anyone who will listen to, to get back into the all trades clan. Like let's figure out, I'm, I'm making my friends can, um, vegetables with me this year. And I'm like, no, it's cool. We'll do like shark. We'll do it for like a charcuterie tray so that we can, you know, and we'll drink while we're doing it, which is what <laughs> I have to do to get my friends to do anything. Uh, <laughs> right. And, um, and they're like, why, why, like, why don't we just go buy this stuff? And I'm like, because we should know how to do this. That's the point. We, you know, you don't have to do it all the time, but like, try it. We should know how to do it. And, and it's the same thing with, with building. And, um, there's not a whole lot that you can fuck up. I mean, you can, but you can fix it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's the only way for people to learn how to do this. And, um, I do get a little frustrated when I see people paying, you know, $90,000 for a tiny home. It's like the whole point is, to me anyway, that, you know, you're, you're living within your means, you're living smaller and, um, you're paying for what's important to you. And I think that when people have the pride in building themselves, um, it's just a totally different ballgame. And I would love to be able to, to teach and encourage more people to do that. I mean, don't get me wrong, come and buy, buy and rent from me for sure. Rent my shit and see if which one you like, mm -hmm. <laughs> what style you want, do your research, do your homework. But, um, I'd really like to see more people building. Yeah, I agree. I am. Um, um, 
I actually have built two, or I was the contractor actually on, on two regular size residential houses with my ex-husbands. And then uh, my tiny house build was all about me, for me, by me, all the time me. And it definitely holds an entirely different level of uh, importance, yeah. an entirely different level yeah. of sort of like position in yeah. your life. And um, I think I probably lost a few friends um, because I can't have any conversation that doesn't include the word tiny house in it <laughs> anymore, I don't think. Um, but yeah, I can certainly relate to the fact that when you build things on your own, it just becomes that effect. So much so that I, when I built my house, I thought I would probably rent it out if I didn't end up living in it. It'd be no problem. I'll just rent it out. Yeah, no way. Mm-hmm. I put right. so much of myself right. into it. And, my, not, and I'm not just talking about my <laughs> stuff. Um, right. just so much of myself into mm-hmm. it. I just can't imagine letting strangers stay there. Mm-hmm. Like it just, it, so I probably took that, that measure a little bit too far, but, um, <laughs> um, but anyways, I can, I can very much relate to that notion. It's well, int- and you, you probably, Michelle, yeah, you probably gained a lot just from, from the two houses. I've certainly remodeled, um, you know, my fair share of how my dad just taught me how to do, all this stuff. Like I, I, you know, he taught me how to lay floors and sheetrock and vault ceilings and, um, you know, wet sand cars and change running gear over. I mean, he, I was just always willing to learn and he was always willing to teach. Um, but you pick up like along the way. I mean, even if you're just observing a process, you know, that somebody else is doing, if you ask a lot of questions, you, you know, more than you think, I think people know more than they think they know. And I think a lot of times people are waiting for someone to give them permission. Um, to do something that's outside of their uh, scope of, you know, outside of their comfort zone, something that they haven't done before. And it's like, it's, it's not rocket science, mm-hmm. you know, it's uh, and, and the more you do, the more you learn and the better you get on the next one. So mm-hmm. people ask a lot, like, which is my favorite, which is my favorite trailer or my favorite renovation. And my answer is always the next one mm-hmm. <laughs> because they just keep getting better and better. And mm-hmm. I think that, um, I, I don't know, Michelle, if you noticed that as well. Yeah. Um, and, King off that com- the comment that you made about people know more than they think they know. I just had this conversation literally last week with someone that was asking me about my electrical system. And I designed, quote unquote, the electrical system in my tiny house. I don't know jack shit about electrical. But right. I was explaining to them, I'm like, well, think about it this way, though. Um, when you walk into a room, you know where the light switch goes. <laughs> right. So I right. had a yellow post-it that I post once my house was framed. I had a yellow post-it that had an mm-hmm. S on it. And I would stick it on the wall and say, that's where I want the switch to go, right? right. You know where the plugs go. So I had pink post-its with a P on them and right. F, you know blue post-its with an F for fixture. And when I had all these post-its, you know, all over the inside of my house, then I went around and I counted them. Okay, I need this many plugs and this many switches and this many fixtures and, you know. And um, so I think, again, people know more than they think they know. It's just how do they get from what they know to what their final goal is. Um, And so I started there. And then I actually gave my list of stuff to somebody else and they came up with the actual part numbers and technology and the amps and the breaker technology and all that fun stuff. But yeah, I definitely agree with you that um, people do know more generally than they think they do. And just even giving them the self-confidence, like you said, to even cut a two by four. Once you cut one, oh, I can so do this. I had a friend over helping my, my subfloor, same thing. She's like, this is the best time I've had in months. I'd rather do this right. than housework any day. Right, yeah, totally. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, I think that, again, people just get stuck in, in needing permission. And it's like, so So here, let, I mean, let's just give everybody permission. Are you guys on board with that? Just give everybody permission to do, you know, whatever they think they want to do. We officially give everybody in the world permission Absolutely. to do whatever they want to do. Even here, like here. a podcast if you want to. Nice. Here, here. <laughs> so, so um, Lisa, you have a, what I would characterize as a, as a unusual, and I'm not saying this because you're a woman, for God's sakes, you listeners, don't even go there. But you have, you <laughs> I have, can though. <laughs> you just yeah, set right? them all up there. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You have a, you have a, a very, um, um, go-getter type, let's solve the problem type She's attitude. She's an entrepreneur. Yeah, an yeah. Entre- I want to get behind that. Founder. Yeah, right. well, she yeah. also has this idea of lemonade. Notice yeah. she doesn't mention the other part of the phrase. So she's like uber focused on the positive. Right. Where does that, where does that, where does that attitude come from? Oh, that's a, wow. 
That's a good I, question, Perry. That's a really good that's question. That's why we pay Perry. you the big bucks. Right? <laughs> I just heard Lisa take a shot. <laughs> Hold on. Get the lime. Uh, no training wheels for me. Uh, I would say, you know what? I would say that I, I think to be an entrepreneur, um, you have to be born with it. So I think that I was born with a healthy dose of um at times, hopeless optimism, like, or I mean, there's times when I've, I, this is me actually reining it in. So I've definitely learned, my risk tolerance is, uh, at a pathological level. Like I should really be medicated for the risks I'm willing to take. But, um, <clears throat> at some point it became a choice, Perry. So, and I, I think that's where, cause you know, you can be optimistic and when everything's good and sunshine and daisies and when you're a kid or whatever, but then when life really starts just like, you know, kicking your ass repeatedly. Um, and I was right in the thick of that, you know, we launched, um, I had a marketing strategy firm that I started in 2001, sold it in 2007, started this children's photography studio franchise in 2006, went to franchise it at, um, the worst time, you know, possible in our recent history Mm -hmm. of 2008. So I had already spent all the money, you know, hundreds of thousands. Well, in upwards of a hundred thousand, um, on getting ready to franchise and, you know, had lots of good luck type things happening like the shark tank thing. Um, I was supposed to be on the cover of business week, still got the story, but not the cover. Um, you know, all these things were looking really good and it's easy to be super happy and great at that time. And then, you know, you guys might remember 2008, we had a little <laughs> economic hiccup. <laughs> so my world came crashing down around me and, um, and I kept swinging and kept swinging and kept fighting. And, you know, you hear and you're prepared as an entrepreneur. You hear when, you know, you get knocked down, you got to get back up, grab your bootstraps, blah, blah, blah. But people don't tell you that you're going to get knocked down repeatedly and you never know how many more times. So every time you get back up, you, you remember what it felt like the last 20 times you got knocked down and it hurts, right? Like you don't expect to get like kicked in the teeth while you're down. Um, <laughs> and those things happen and they happen to me. And, you know, I've lost businesses and I've, um, lost a shit ton of money. And, uh, and I, I like to think that I learned from that. So at this point, and, and I could be bitter and I could be upset and I could blame the world or blame, <laughs> you know, I'm not even going to get into politics. Uh, <laughs> you know, I could debate or I could, I could blame lots and lots of people, but that's not going to do me any good. It's not going to advance my situation or help anything. So really I'm, focused on, um, really getting what I want and what I want is to be happy and I want my family to be happy. And, um, and so I choose to be optimistic in the, I choose to make lemonade, um, or lemon drops. You know, you always got to have vodka on hand just (laughs) in case. Um, but it's a choice. It's definitely a choice. And you see all the things, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what happens to you. It's, you know, what you do with it or whatever all those, all those quotes are. Um, but it's making a choice to see the bright side, see the positive and, and to recognize, um, like the pipe bursting in the kitchen as an opportunity, um, because it happened, there's nothing you can do about it now. So what can we do to make something better out of this or to, um, you know, there's, there's always something in there. There's always the silver lining. You just have to look for it. And once I started doing that, when I finally said, fuck it, I'm not going to be, um, on the startup circuit anymore. I'm not, I was also the chief revenue officer for a um, software company here in Bend. Um, for the first time I had a job in 15 years and that didn't go well. Uh, <laughs> so, no, it did. I, I don't know that, anything but, about that. <laughs> but it, wasn't good. it wasn't good for me. And, um, it was a struggle for me to say, cause I felt like I was in this position where I had done, you know, pretty well at a couple of things. And, um, you know, marketing is sort of now in its, in its getting its golden era. And I felt like I really should keep doing that. And then, um, but I was miserable, like miserable. Mm. Um, I had the the car and the, you know, the house and all the stuff and, and the business that was successful and I raised money and all this shit and I was miserable. And so when I turned 40, I had what I like to call a, um, uh, it was my midlife moment of clarity, um, where I just basically said, fuck it you know, I don't want to do this anymore. So I'm not going to do this anymore. And I think that people, um, thought and still do think I'm a little bit, maybe a lot crazy, um, for having done that, but I'm happier than I've ever been. My kids are super happy. My husband, I mean, it was like, it was the right thing to do. And so again, it's like, I could have said, no way I'll never be able to do that. I just need to, you know, I've got a good gig now. I should just keep doing what I'm doing, whatever. Um, 
but you have to, you have to take risk and then you have to see, you have to be looking for the good, um, and always have your lemonade making supplies on hand. Right on. <laughs> and bye. Oh, that's so sweet. Uh, so you said you thought you were born, uh, born with it. I'm going to, I'm going to take your words and twist them a little. I think it's born yeah. out of necessity. Um, when yeah. we get knocked down, we sort of, um, we sort of take, you have two choices. You can become, like you said, you can become the victim. You can blame society. And there's just no upside to that. So, right. um, you know, the, the other phrase that says that which does not kill us, make us stronger, um, is should probably be tattooed on my ass. Um, right. Alongside the others. <laughs> Spanning. We can be twinsies on that. I so it's just taking the more, you know, the more optimistic role. And in my in my case, I think it's really the children. I, I say many times it's the sort of the children that saved my life because it would have been really easy for me to just go crawl in a hole somewhere. But um, it's not an option once you're a parent. So um, so so what happened um, uh, yeah, Lisa, when you were when you were a kid? Was your life really shitty or your mother abusive or your father <laughs> whatever and uh, then you just made lemonades of that what happened what happened in your youth yeah so I had the typical you know we put the fun and dysfunctional family um no one was abusive but my parents got divorced when I was very young when I was like four you know and so I was I had to be pretty independent from a from an early age um, my mom has what I affectionately call the do-over family so she got remarried so I have an older brother two and a half years older than me um who sort of uh has, he's a free spirit. He's, he's had some struggles and he's also had, um, some, um, a really happy life in a lot of ways. But, and then my mom had two younger, bo- two boys that are 11 and 13 years younger than me. Um, so she kind of did her do over family. So I simultaneously was like, I have been the, the youngest, the oldest and the middle child mm-hmm. <laughs> so wow. within my family structure. Wow. Um, and it wasn't, you know, I was, I, I spent, uh, my mom lived in Seattle. My dad lived in Vancouver. So I spent, uh, Vancouver, Washington. So I'd spend, you know, Christmas day on I five, either on a train or driving, yeah. you know, going between the parents' house. So, I mean, it wasn't bad, it, you know, nothing, nobody was abusive. Um, I, I mean, I had a pretty good, I think a pretty good life, but I was definitely needed to be pretty independent. And I think I needed to be grown up faster, um, Faster than most. And, you know, when when parent, when people got divorced in the 80s or the 70s, I guess, oh, God, it was the 70s. <laughs> um, don't, you're not recording this, are you? <laughs> you're officially younger than me. Yay. Yeah. My I parents were divorced in the 60s. I said I hit 40. So, yeah. um, and I actually, I love it. But um, I, you know, now people get divorced and like they live, they buy a house down the street yeah. so that the kids aren't right. disrupted. Like, like people are, are giving so much more attention to kids now in divorce than they did in kids that were, you know, divorces of the seventies and eighties, I think. Um, and I, and that just caused me to be more independent. And I, and I, while I could complain about that, um, you know, I also paid for my own college and um, I ended up getting a scholarship cause that was my only option. Um, it, all of those things really put me in the position to be doing what I'm doing now um, and to give me that confidence to do it. And also the, the confidence to know that, yeah, I might fail. I might fall flat on my face. There is no safety net. Um, here, okay. So cue the sad portion of the story. Um, <laughs> I did lose my, my dad, um, really unexpectedly. He was actually killed by a, um, reckless driver, uh, when back in 2007. So right in the middle of all of the shit storm of everything else going on with the economy and, you know, um, that I lost my dad, who was like my support and my rock um, at the same time. And that was probably, that was the scariest because that was the first time I ever felt like I truly, there is no safety net anymore. Um, And he was also the guy who taught me how to do all this stuff, right? So he was the guy that, you know, if I said, well, I'm not sure about this, he'd be like, oh, you know, let's just go, let's just go check it out or you can do it, but you can figure it out. So, um, so that's a big blow. That was a big blow. And it still is like every day I still like he would have just loved what we're doing right now. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, so I guess throughout life you can either get you can either become the victim and, you know, become weaker or you can, um, you know, choose to continue to live and continue to grow and um, look for the good in things and, um, you know, just just make the choice to be to be happy with the life that you have. Like it happened. There's nothing that I could do to change it. Um, I would like to think, and I struggled 
for a long time, like after my dad's accident, like there had to be, a, I was like, everything happens for a reason, right? Like he didn't just senselessly die, this fabulous guy. So I had to go, I had to sort of understand that I don't get to, even if there is a reason, I don't get to say if that reason was worth it or not, right? Like, was that reason justifiable yeah. to lose, you know, the life of someone that we love? And, and I think that that kind of all this came together at 40, honestly. Um, and part of it was, I remember my dad's 40th birthday and I remember him thinking like how old he was and he was really a bitch about it. I mean, I'm telling you, <laughs> he was like, we were, we had a surprise birthday party for him and like leading up to it, he was just impossible to deal with. And, um, and I looked back at those pictures as I was coming up on my 40th birthday last year and was like, he was so young, you know, he was so young and he thought that he was old. Um, and he also thought it was midlife. Like we hear this, like, Oh, you're on the other side of the hill. And at that moment, he thought he was in the middle of his life. He didn't realize that he was only, you know, 12 years from the end. I mean, he had passed his midlife years and years and years ago. So to me, that was really a wake up call of like, I don't get to have, I don't know when midlife is for me. I don't know, oh, yeah. you know, so I'm working, doing a job now that I, that I really, then that I really didn't like anymore. I mean, I, I hated it. It made me physically ill. Um, and I was doing it so that I could, you know, so that I could take care of my family. I'm the primary breadwinner in the family, always have been. That's, and it works out awesome. My husband's a musician. Um, he's working with me now on this, which is awesome. Um, you know, and I said, I, I'm doing all this so that, so that we can have stability and have a good future and blah, blah, blah. And I, but I'm not seeing, but I don't see my family at all now. And so playing the woman, the woman card, I actually did a TED talk on gender bias in business. Um, my prime earning years are not right now. My prime earning years as a, as a female executive in business, if I ever wanted to go back, which hopefully I won't have to, um, are in my, you know, fifties and sixties. Mm -hmm. So to take this time when I only have, I, it hit me that I only have four summers left with my oldest, you know, and then he's off to college. So why am I spending these years out running around like a mad woman trying to, you know, dot every I and cross every T to make ends meet to prepare for this future that we don't know if we'll get to have, first of all. And secondly, you know, what, why am I trying to create a future that looks like everybody else's when I don't look anything or act anything like everybody else? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's definitely, you know, stories and, and reasons behind all the decisions, but I think that we all have shit that happens to us in our life. I love the human experience. So do I. I think that, uh, I think that a lot of our tiny house listeners will definitely, uh, tiny house podcast listeners will definitely enjoy hearing your story and we have a, I'm, I'm just sitting here nodding going, yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. I think that we all have a, a lot in common and challenges and a desire for a, a, a life that's definitely outside the box. So on a closing note, what do you, what advice um, do you have for, I, I guess I could say tiny house enthusiasts, but I'm going to make it a little bit broader. What advice do you have for people that want to you know, take that risk that want to step outside the corporate box, um, that really want to live their best life. Yeah. So that's what I love so much about the tiny house movement and that like the tiny house people, I feel like I found the mothership, you know, of my people, because I think what's important focus in, in your life. So my advice would be focus on what is truly important to you. And that might, that's not as easy as it sounds because when you start, like if you ask somebody what's important to them, they're going to rattle off, you know, unit core, God country. Sorry. A few good men line. I've, we, we see good <laughs> quotes all the time. Um, you know, people are going to rattle off what they, what, what's supposed to be important or what they've been kind of, you know, what we've all been brainwashed to say, this is important. And I think you have to dig a little bit deeper and find out what truly is important to you. Um, and then you don't get to have it all. Right. So like in, in business, we say, you know, fast, good or cheap, pick two. Um, they can't, you know, it can't be all three. It's kind of one of those things, too. You, you can't have it all right now. Um, and I think that the more you dive, the more that you dig deep within yourself to see what you truly want, I think you'll find you don't want it all right now. Um, and the more you let go, I think sort of the more freedom you have. Um, so my advice would be focus on what's important to you, fuck what everybody else thinks, mm -hmm. because it should, it doesn't matter what everybody else thinks. Um, focus on what's important to you and your tribe, you know, your people, and then take the steps, 
like literally create a plan and take the steps to get there. Cause you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. Right. So, um, but what can you do now? And then the, the rest of this is do something now, because the first step really is, I think the hardest, you have to commit to it. You have to wrap your brain around a change that you're going to make. And then you have to focus on that goal and just make the change. Um, and you know what? It's okay if you change your mind. If you go, you know what? This tiny house stuff is not for me. Maybe you're more of a weekend warrior and, you know, you don't really want to live in a tiny home forever. And that's okay, too. Um, you know, but take what you learn. Take the, uh, um, you know, what you saw that worked. And I think you'll be really surprised at what happens along the way just when you sort of set your intentions. Um, it, things just tend to work out if you just trust that they will. And that's a really hard leap to take. Um, especially for certain types of personalities. Um, but I think that's what you have to do. And until you're, and that's like, that's the price of admission. So until you're willing to sort of give up, to, to completely give up total control, um, it's not going to happen. Well, Lisa, this has been awesome. This yeah. Is so yeah, fun. It's been awesome. The only thing that could have made this better was bourbon. I was going <laughs> to that's the only thing that could have made this. Well, maybe having better. her in the studio with the bourbon. There you go. Been... Yeah, that's true. Hey, better yet, you guys. Why don't we have a little Rancho Del Reco roundup? And, no uh, you guys way. We'll get uh, Casey Flynn singing around the campfire for you guys oh, and bourbon. Oh boy! I mean, I'll bring my new teardrop, and you can you can advise <laughs> me on how to cutesy it up. Awesome. Perfect and functional. So here's the other thing. So the cutesy, the glamping stuff is fun, but I love um, functionality. So like making things that it's like for just real. I know we're wrapping up, but little things like <laughs> the, the, the tables, um, it just making things more functional for the way that we use them today. So like all the old trailers have the access cabinet to get into the old huge refrigerator. Um, so I turn that into an out, uh, you know, a cooler or an ice box. Hmm. It's accessible from the outside of the trailer, right? Cause it's important that you need to be able to get your drinks quickly when you need them. Right. With that, we raise a glass in your so, general direction. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you so much, uh, Lisa, for being with us. Lisa, Lisa Flynn from Beautiful Rex, and you can find out more about her company and um, her wonderful um, temporary dwellings at uh, beautifulrex.com. Thanks we... so much for having me. Oh, yeah, sure. Absolutely. Who are you talking to next week? Celeste. Oh, Celeste. Celeste. She's a one, one-named person. She's a one. It's like Cher, Madonna. Oh, is that for Bono, sure? Is that real? Cher. No. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> but we're not. But we're not going to talk about her last name or anything like that because she's kind of living incognito Got in it. her tiny house. So, I see. Okay. Um, I don't know. Maybe we'll tell people eventually. But okay. yeah. So next week we're going to be talking to Celeste the um, Pirate. Celeste the Pirate. Celeste the Pirate. <laughs> All right. Well, check in uh, next week with us, Tiny House Podcast listeners, when we'll be talking with this one-named person uh, who's living on the lamb and. And we will see you next week. Bye. See ya. See you guys. Thank you for listening to Tiny House Podcast. To find us online, go to tinyhousepodcast.com, where you will also find our show notes, if we remember to put them there. Our logo was designed by the amazing Carolyn Maine. Our website is hosted by the gang at Sightcast. Our theme music is by Oma Studio. Please go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating, or whatever. You tiny house-loving bastard. Tiny House Podcast is probably made in Portland, Oregon. <laughs>